Okay, come follow me, 50, part B, starting on chapter 10. And I saw another mighty angel coming down from heaven wrapped in a cloud with a rainbow over his head. His face was like the sun and his legs like pillars of fire. Okay, who is it? Clearly, this is Jesus, right? The cloud makes the rainbow. The face is like the sun, the eyes shining like fire, right? Okay, all right, verse 2. He held a little scroll open in his hand, setting his right foot on the sea and his left foot on the land. He gave a great shout like a lion roaring. And when he shouted, the seven thunders sounded. And when the seven thunders had sounded, I was about to write, but I heard a voice from heaven saying, Seal up what the seven thunders have said, and do not write it down. Then the angel whom I saw standing on the sea and land raised his right hand to heaven and swore by him who lives forever and ever, um, who created heaven and what is in it and earth and what is in it and the sea and what is in it. There will be no more delay. But in the days when the seventh angel is to blow his trumpet, the mystery of God will be fulfilled, and as he announced to his servants the prophets. So, um, so this is Jesus. Um, he's got a scroll. Uh, there's there's another message from heaven which John is not supposed to write. Uh, I have no idea if this would have had significance to the uh, to the earliest Christians. Uh, so we don't have any other information about that. Um, and he says, basically, okay, the time is now, <laughs> right? Uh, to, and, and and he talks about the mystery of God to be fulfilled. So this is that plan, this is the ketubah, right? Verse 8, Then the voice that I had heard from heaven spoke to me again, saying, Go, take the scroll that is open in the hand of the angel who is standing on the sea and on the land. Remember, uh, remember how often the angel of the Lord in the Old Testament actually was Yahweh, right? So this shouldn't be a surprise that that. Christ is represented as an angel. He's the great angel, right? And in fact, uh, what's what's angel? Uh, Angelos is a messenger, right? Uh, and he's called the messenger of the covenant, isn't he? Uh, I will send the first, etc., right? And all these references to Christ as an angel, as the messenger. Right? Verse 9. So I went to the angel and told him to give me the little scroll, and he said to me, take it and eat. It will be bitter to your stomach, but sweet as honey in your mouth. So I took the little scroll from the hand of the angel and ate it. It was sweet as honey in my mouth, but when I had eaten eaten it, my stomach was made bitter. So uh, prophets get messages like this. Uh, to eat or to open, like Lehi, he has to read from the heavenly book, this, this book that gives him his message, and then he has to proclaim these things, right? This is a common motif, reading from the heavenly book and then having to say the things that you wrote on that. And it's uh, and it's sweet at first, but then you know that it's bitter um, because of what's what it means is going to happen, right? So, uh, so verse eleven. Then he said to me. Then they said to me, "You must prophesy again about many peoples and nations, and languages and kings." Right. So it's the little book is his instructions for prophesying. Chapter eleven. Then I was given a measuring rod like a staff, and I was told. Come and measure the temple of God and the altar and those who worship there. But do not measure the court outside the temple. Leave that out. For it is given over to the nations, and they will trample over the holy city for 42 months. Um, so we're going to... Well, so measuring the temple. Uh, what is this? Well, Ezekiel has to measure the temple. And, of course, specific measurements are given for temples, uh, both ancient and modern. And what's that? Well, this is the this is the meaning of the mason the, the stonemason 
uh, symbolism in the temple, right? You construct it, and if, if the walls are straight and the, the things are level and you know it's the right length and all this stuff, then it doesn't get torn down. You have to, you know, God comes and measures it, and um, so as John is sent off to prophesy again, he comes as that heavenly messenger that comes with the measuring implements to make to, to see if the uh, uh, to see if the building that the people have made is according to the proper instructions or not. That's the imagery being employed here. Okay, but next we're going to talk about the, the two witnesses, um, which section 77 says, they are two prophets that are to be raised up un, raised up to the Jewish nation in the last days at the time of the restoration and to prophesy to the Jews after they have gathered and have built the city of Jerusalem in the land of their fathers. Now, again, considering that... Uh, that there's great possibilities for multiple fulfillments of the same prophecy and things like that, as we've seen in these symbols. I want to consider this, though, in, in the way that uh, the early Christians uh, would have understood this prophecy. So, so let's finish this out. Um, um, let, let's relay that as, uh, as Revelation gives it. So starting in verse 3. And I will grant my two witnesses authority to prophesy for 1,260 days, wearing sackcloth. What does that mean? In mourning, right? Sackcloth is mourning. They're not preaching good news, they're preaching bad news. Right? Uh, in, in effect, right? Verse 4, These are the two olive trees and the two lampstands that stand before the Lord of the earth. Remember that. They're the two olive trees and the two lampstands that stand before the Lord of the earth. Verse 5, And if anyone wants to harm them, fire pours out from their mouth and consumes their foes. Anyone who wants to harm them must be killed in this manner. They have authority to shut the sky so that no rain may fall during the days of their prophesying. They have authority over the waters to turn them into blood and to strike the earth with every kind of plague as often as they desire. So they have the sealing power, right? This is like, uh, this is like Moses, 3rd Nephi, Elijah, right? 7. When they have finished their testimony, the beast that comes up from the bottomless pit will wage war on them and conquer them and kill them. And their dead bodies will lie in the streets of the great city that is prophetically called Sodom and Egypt, where also their Lord was crucified. For three and a half days, members of the, of the people and tribes and languages and nations will gaze at their dead bodies and refuse to let them be placed in a tomb. And the inhabitants of the earth will gloat over them and celebrate and exchange presents, because these two prophets tormented the inhabitants of the earth. But after the three and a half days, the breath of life from God entered the two witnesses, and they stood on their feet, and those who saw them were terrified. Then they heard a loud voice from heaven saying to them, Come up here. And they went up to a cloud in a, to, to heaven in a cloud while their enemies watched them. At that moment there was a great earthquake, and a tenth of the city fell. Seven thousand people were killed in the earthquake, and the rest were terrified and gave glory to the God of heaven. The second woe is past, and the third woe is coming. Now, uh, reading through that, it, it sure sounds like we're talking about Jesus. The things that we can kind of pick out of that, um, the, killed in Jerusalem, that's, you know, prophetically called Sodom and Egypt, because, you know, when they're misbehaving, the prophets call them things like that. Um, where the Lord was crucified, three and a half days, they don't let him be buried, but then life comes back into him after three and a half days, right? Um which uh, uh, you know uh, matches nicely with uh, with Jesus Christ, right? And everyone being terrified, earthquake and darkness and so forth like that, right? 
um, this, this, there's a lot kind of to tie in here to, to Jesus, but there's two of them. <laughs> there's two of them. Well, what are we supposed to do with this? Okay. There's zero doubt that what John is tapping into is in Zechariah, okay? Um, Zechariah 4, and, and so let's look at this. And the, this, this is from Zechariah 4. And the angel that talked with me again the, talk, the angel that talked to me came again and waked me as a man that is wakened out of his sleep and said to me, what seest thou? And I said, I have looked and behold a candlestick. That's a menorah. The word is menorah. All of gold with a bowl on the top of it and his, and his seven lamps thereon and seven pipes to the seven lamps which are on the top thereof and two olive trees by it, one on the right side of the bowl and the other on the left side thereof. So I answered and spake to the angel that talked with me, saying, What are these, my lord? Then the angel that talked with me and answered me said, Knowest thou not what these be? See, we have a little temple interview here uh, in front of these two olive trees in front of the menorah. Right? So, so then he explains a little bit more about the building of the temple and some things that aren't really relevant here. Um, and, and then he says, uh, uh, What are those two? What are these two olive trees upon the right side of the candlestick and upon the left side thereof? And I answered again and said unto him, What be these two olive branches which through which uh, which through the two golden pipes empty the golden oil out of themselves? Meaning they feed into the into the bowl on the top of the menorah. There's always oil going into the oil lamps. And he answered me and said, Knowest thou not what these things be? And I said, No, my lord. Then he said, These are the two anointed ones that stand by the Lord of the whole earth. Okay, so now we've kind of come back to what Revelation is saying. These are the two anointed ones that stand by the Lord of the whole earth. So this is the uh, the imagery that's being uh, tied into here um, by Revelations. These These two anointed ones these two olive trees that feed into the into the menorah. Now, Christian commentators through the centuries have almost universally agreed that Jesus is one. And perhaps in some ways that they've kind of argued that he's both of these sons, right? Ancient and medieval Jewish commentators, on the other hand, described two messiahs. There was a messiah, the son of David, the redeemer. And there was a messiah, the son of Joseph, the restorer, who would prepare the way for the messianic or millennial age. That's the Jewish tradition. Now, uh, the supposition, and this is not a thing that, that Jews talk about much anymore as far as I can tell, uh, but, but the, idea, the, the idea that Joseph Smith uh, you know, would, would be the Messiah son of Joseph, who is the restorer, is uh, pretty hard to resist here. So, uh, so if we look at, if we then look back at the, uh, at what, um, Revelations is describing that then we're talking about Jesus being slain in Jerusalem um, and Joseph being slain at a different time, but they're lumped together because it's the same work and who knows what else, because they're both sons of oil. And that, that's the phrase for the anointed ones, they're sons of oil. Um, it, at, at the place where the new Jerusalem is going gonna, is gonna to come down, right? Um, well, it's a thought. It's a thought. At least it's a way to look at it a little more through the lens of the people that would have received the original uh, version of the book of Revelation. 
So then, verse 15, Then the seventh angel blew his trumpet, and there were loud voices in heaven, saying, The kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and and of his Messiah, and he will reign forever and ever. Then the twenty-four elders who sit on their thrones before God fell on their faces and worshipped God, singing, We give you thanks, O Lord God Almighty, who are and who were, for you have taken your great power and begun to reign. The nations raged, but your wrath has come. And the time for judging the dead, for rewarding your servants, the prophets and the saints, and all who fear your name, both small and great, and for destroying those who destroy the earth. Uh, the nation's raid, this is from the, the Psalm 2, I think it is, um, happens right before uh, the king, presumably David, is, uh, is raised to the throne. And so that's taken as an emblem, as a, as a premonition of, of uh, Christ. Verse 19, Then God's temple in heaven was opened. So we're going to look inside God's temple again, right? Uh, we're going to we're back in heaven. We're not on the earth seeing what all the chaos and nastiness is going on. We're back in heaven, looking through the door of the holy of holies. Okay, so then God's temple in heaven was opened, and the ark of His covenant was seen within His temple, which is the throne of God, right? And there were flashes of lightning, rumblings, peals of thunder, and an earthquake, and heavy hail. Um. Well, uh, big surprise. We're going to take a look backward and at things we're going to see things that started before and are still going on right we're going to um we'll, we'll see a figure of heavenly mother uh, she's going to give birth to the savior in the holy of holies okay and and then he will ascend to the throne uh but when war breaks out in heaven she'll have to hide as uh, as the dragon satan makes war on her and other, her other faithful children. We don't know where these children come from, but they're they're faithful. They're just there. And this is going to be analogous to the church. So some of this is going to be hearkening back at the same time as it's telling us everything that's going on right now. So we have chapter 12. A great portent appeared in heaven. A woman clothed the sun with the moon under her feet, and on her head a crown of 12 stars. She was pregnant and crying out in birth pangs in the agony of giving birth. Then another portent appeared in heaven, a great red dragon with seven heads and ten horns and seven diadems on his head. His tail swept down a third of the stars of heaven and threw them to the earth. Then the dragon stood before the woman who was about to deliver a child so that he might devour her child as soon as it was born. And she gave birth to a son, a male child, who is to rule all the nations with a scepter of iron. But her child was snatched away and taken to God and to his throne. And the woman fled into the wilderness, where she has where she has a place prepared by God, so that there she could be nourished for one thousand two hundred and sixty days. Okay, so uh, first of all, you know, a dragon with uh, seven heads and ten horns and seven diadems or crowns on his head. Um, how do you divvy those up? Ten horns—that's one per head and. a Three extra? No, you're not even really supposed to visualize this. You're just supposed to recognize uh, the symbolism, right? Ten horns we're going to see when they show up on the beast are going to be kingdoms or kings, right? Diadem is the same, the same thing, right? So you look at you look at the symbolism of the thing, not how it not how it looks. His tail sweeps down a third of the stars of heaven, right? We've seen this now for the fourth or fifth time uh, that this is the war in heaven, throwing them to the earth. Right, not they're not descending; they are thrown down. Right, uh, 
And then this this delivery, why is there delivery happening in heaven, in the Holy of Holies, next to the throne? Um, well, early Christians talked uh, quite a bit, actually, about Jesus' birth before his birth, uh, his emergence from the Holy of Holies in heaven. Uh, this is where he was anointed. They, they said, well, he had to have been anointed before, had to have been chosen before. Latter-day Saints know that. He was chosen at that, at that Greek council, right? But it talks about his birth um, in, in the Holy of Holies um, before all the rest of this has happened. So we're getting echoes of that and echoes of his life on earth uh, where he's persecuted by the dragon who's the devil. Uh, who, who, is, who else is persecuted? Well, his mother, right? She's driven into obscurity, which, you know, is mostly where she's been throughout the history of earth. Um, but, but the church also is uh, supposed to emulate Heavenly Mother. It does a kind of stinky job of that, but, you know, it's supposed to be the olive tree uh, that emulates the tree of life. It's supposed to be the city that emulates the city of New Jerusalem uh, and, and often falls short. Um, but, but here, this is the church that's driven into the wilderness, like Heavenly Mother, driven into obscurity. Um, but there's still a place, you know, there's still a place. Uh, presumably there's still people that revere her. Uh, verse 7, And war broke out in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon. The dragon and his angels fought back, but they were defeated, and there was no longer any place for them in heaven. The great dragon was thrown down. That ancient serpent was called the devil and Satan, the deceiver of the whole world. He was thrown down to the earth, and his angels were thrown down with him. So there's just the fifth or sixth recap, right? Then I heard a loud voice in heaven proclaiming, Now have come the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Messiah. For the accuser of our brothers and sisters has been thrown down, who accuses them day and night before our God. Of course, accuser, is this, this is what Satan means. Satan means accuser. He's the one that shows up in the heavenly courtroom saying, Ah, uh, uh, you're not worthy, right? Verse 11. But they have conquered him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. For they did not cling to life even in the face of death. Rejoice then, you heavens, and those who dwell in them. But woe to the earth and the sea, for the devil has come down to you with great wrath, because he knows that his time is short. I will remind you again and again to be faithful in the face of death and not cling to life in that circumstance, but to be faithful to the word of our testimony. And, uh, and for early Christians, this was very, very real. Um, this was a very real thing. Um, but the, I like this, that the devil knows that his time is short, so he's getting his licks in while he can. Verse 13. So when the dragon saw that he had been thrown down to the earth, he pursued the woman who had delivered the male child. But the woman was given the two wings of the great eagle so that she could fly from the serpent into the wilderness to a place where she is nourished for a time and times and time and half a time. Uh, guys, uh, the heavenly mother as a bird, as an eagle in Deuteronomy, as the dove you know, everywhere else and in all the intertestamental literature um, is, uh, is ubiquitous. Um, so, uh, so of course she has eagle's wings and can, and can fly away, uh, you know, uh, and to some, and to some, in some way that needs to be applied also to the church because it's a figure of two things happening before. What's happening to the church on the earth is a figure, or a, it's playing out what happened in heaven before, right? Okay. 
Verse 15. Then from his mouth the serpent poured like a river after the woman to sweep her away with the flood. Poured water like a river after to sweep her away with the flood. But the earth came to the help of the woman. It opened its mouth and swallowed the river and the, that the dragon had poured from its mouth. Then the dragon was angry with the woman and went off to wage war on the rest of her children, those who keep the commandments of God and hold the testimony of Jesus. So the rest of her children are there. They're being sought after, persecuted uh, by the dragon. And isn't that true what's happening now? Verse 18. Oh, we're going to meet the first beast. Yay. Uh, verse 18, then the dragon took his stand, or it says, I took, then I stood, I think it's, I think it's John uh, take, taking his stand on the sand of the seashore, because now he's going to see what, what happens next. And we'll, we'll start with 13 in the next segment.